want to start with a question, classic question. You ready for this? What do you want to do when you grow up? You are not too old to answer this question. What do you want to do when you grow up? Uh, I, I was at the, the uh, trunk or treat this Wednesday, and I had this funny thought. I'm looking at all these kids in their costumes, and I had this thought. What if our career path was determined by the Halloween costume we wore when we were 10 years old? That'd be funny. A lot of superheroes, uh, <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of cartoon characters. I think I would be um, Bugs Bunny. I think that's what I would be right now. Yeah. What's up, Doc? Like, I'd be killing it. Um, what did you want to do when you grew up? I, I'm, I'm curious. Somebody tell me. What, when, you were, when you were a kid, what did you want to do when you grew up? Are you still growing up? What you want to do? Air Force. Yeah. That's right. Anybody else? Anybody else? What did you want to do when you grew up? Anybody? Y'all had no career ambitions as kids? None. Yes. A falconer? Did you ever falcon? You should. It's not too late, Kathleen. I, uh, I had a lot of things I wanted to be when I grew up. Uh, I was with my uh, daughter this week, and she was doing her schoolwork, and, and she just kind of was talking to herself about some things she was working on. She said, you know what? When I grow up on the weekends, I want to be a cashier at Aldi. Yeah, I was like, go ahead, girl. You shoot for the stars. You can do whatever you put your mind to. You can be a cashier at Aldi. Uh, <laughs> a lot of things we want to do. Here's the thing. When we're kids, I think we're taught to be obsessed with what do you want to do when you grow up. Guess what? I don't think we outgrow that. I think for the rest of our life, we're a little bit obsessed with that. I think that's one of the reasons why when you meet new people, what's one of the very first questions you ask each other when you get to know each other? What do you do? What do you do? And it's not a bad question. We, we understand the question. We know how to answer it. Um, but what do you do is interesting because it's kind of like, what do you do? Well, I mean, right now, I mean, right now I'm about to make a taco. That's what I'm doing right now. You know, oh, you mean like what do I get paid for or what's my passion? You know, like what is... What if the question was shifted a little bit, and what if the question became, why do you do what you do? In fact, I think a lot of times we wake up in the morning asking that question, why am I doing this? Why am I continuing to do this? Today we're starting a brand new teaching series. We're calling it Good Work, Finding Purpose in My 9 to 5. And, you know, I don't know why we call it nine to five. I don't think that is the actual hours that most people work. Um, but it's, a, it's, you know what you mean? It means like it's a figure of speech. It means your, your day job or the thing that occupies most of your time, mostly your vocation, your occupation, the way you make money, or maybe how you just spend the majority of your time. Our nine to five makes up a huge part of what we do. Uh, some estimates say that we probably work close to 90,000 hours in our lifetime. 90,000, that's a lot of hours. If you do the math, and let's say there's 168 hours in a week, and you work a fairly standard 40-hour work week, you're knocking on close to 25% of your life is clocked in doing your job. That is a lot of your life. Uh, it's, it's the biggest chunk of our lives, in fact. There's only one thing we do more than work. You know what it is? Sleep, sleep thank goodness, and that's because we don't take the weekends off to sleep. Holla! I'm down with sleeping on some weekends. It is a huge part of what we do, and that's just the time we're clocked in. That doesn't include, you know, the preparation for our work. Maybe you have a commute. Some of you I know have, you know, maybe up to an hour-long commute to get to work one way, and you don't get paid for that. And so you're getting close to, you know, 10 hours a day or more that you're working, or maybe even more if you work more than a, a standard eight-hour a day. Maybe your numbers are higher. Maybe they're lower. Maybe you struggle with the concept of your nine to five because maybe you have a like, uh, maybe you're retired. Maybe you're like, I don't know what, what I'm doing, what's the best thing for me to do with my time. Maybe you have like a less conventional 
type of, of, of nine to five. Maybe you're a homemaker, maybe you're self-employed, or you do something slightly different. You have several different jobs. But here's the deal. Here's the whole point. The whole thing I want to kind of establish is this. We all have something that we do, more or less. We have something that occupies this huge block of our time. And during our working lives, our nine to five, our jobs consume most and often the best of our energy. It's what we put our lives into. Now, this isn't bad. It's not bad. In fact, I am not at all going to try to make the point today or for this whole series that working is a bad thing. Uh, maybe you hoped that's what I was going to say, uh, but it's not. It's not a bad thing. In fact, I believe the truth is that the work that we have to do is a gift from God, like literally, directly a gift that God gave us to do. But I think the truth is that many of us don't love what we do. In worldwide studies, I read several surveys this past week, and, uh, and the scale that I'm seeing is something between 70 to 85% of people worldwide report that they are not satisfied with their job. And I think maybe a lot of us in this room right now, maybe you are right now shaking your head going, yeah, that's me. I get up in the morning and I hit the grind. Why do I do what I do? But I think that we can find purpose in our work. In fact, I think that we can find joy in our work regardless of what we do, to some degree. There are some things that maybe you just shouldn't be doing. But for the large percentage of time and the large percentage of people, we can find purpose. And so our goal over this series is to say, let's make sense of our work and let's find God's purpose for what we can do with our daily nine to five or your what you do moment, your occupation. And let's put it towards the efforts of the kingdom of God and, and see what God can do with that. So here's the thing. This is my assertion. It is possible. It is possible. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at a bunch of different facets from that. We love to look to the Bible for God's most important truth. So if you got a Bible with you this morning, go ahead and break that puppy out. If you don't have a Bible, we give away free Bibles every single week. Over here, there's a gray shelf. Please grab one before you leave today. Feel free. It's not awkward if you want to go at some point and go grab it this morning, uh, even during my talk. But you can uh, look it up on your phone. No shame there. Let's look up. We're going to be in the Bible. We're going to be a very easy book to find. The very first book of the Bible, Genesis. We'll start at the very beginning. A very good place to start. The Bible is a source for God's truth, and it was inspired by him to teach us so many things. And our goal today is simple as we look into God's word. I want to kind of, I'm going to let the cat out of the bag and tell you. There are two big goals for what we will hope to accomplish with this morning's lesson, and it's this. Number one, first, we want to see that work, the work we do is a reflection of God's image in us. The work that we do, you're nine to five or whatever you call it, is a reflection of God's image in us. And the second thing I think we're going to learn is this. The work we do is a reminder of how much we need God in our lives. So let's unpack that. Start at the very beginning. We're going to be Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. First verse in the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I cannot tell you how many good, solid Bible lessons should start with this sentence. Because it's foundational to everything we do. And this is God's introduction to us as he, as he uh, inspired the authoring of scripture. And he, and he introduces himself. And basically, in my shorthand summary, this is what God says. Hey, I'm your God. And I created this. That's the first thing I want you to know about me. That word created, it means shaped or fashioned. And the point that I want us to see here in our context is this, 
that from the beginning, God has been working. God's not off taking a vacation somewhere. He's not just chilling out on, on, a, on a beach somewhere, sipping, uh, you know, gin and juice. He's just, he has got a, a, an active work in his life, and he is doing it constantly. And he's constantly reinvigorating and taking care of things and working in our life and entering into our lives. Uh, and from the beginning, God has been working. One of the common threads that we see throughout the Bible is that he continues to keep that work going. When we think of work, we often think of fatigue. Like when I mow my grass, I want to go sit on a couch and drink a glass of sweet tea when I'm done. Why? Because I'm tired. Because I worked. This is a unique thing about God. God doesn't get fatigued. He just keeps on going and going. He takes care of his business and he always keeps working. But when you fast forward, we see something interesting about this thing of his work and how he begins to bring us into the picture. This is in chapter, 20, uh, chapter 1, verse 26. We see God invites us into his work. It says, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock, over all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move on the ground. Now, this is a huge foundational core verse of scripture. As it comes to our identity, like what, what makes you, you? We were created in the likeness of God, in his image. One of God's greatest desires, one of his greatest passions is to create. Like he's constantly doing it. We see, it's the very first act we see him do. And he created us in his image. And one of the things that we can see is the fingerprint of God in our life is that we too have this desire, this innate just passion to create, to make, to build, to do. And God, and, uh, a book called Core 52. And if you haven't seen this book, I, I recommend you check it out. It's, it's, it's pretty cheap on Amazon right now. There's a guy named Dr. Mark E. Moore. And uh, he's one of my favorite authors and biblical scholars. He's a preacher at a church in Phoenix, Arizona. And he, his book, Core 52, he's talking about this in relationship to uh, us being created in the likeness of God and how we can see that in our own lives and our desire to create. I want to read you kind of an excerpt from that book as he points this out. This is cool. Listen, he says, beauty derives from the divine from colors to shapes, from sight to taste to sound to smell. We breathe beauty as a spiritual experience. We are the only animals that make art, that set a table for dinner, that rearrange our furniture. No other animal sings. Birds and whales call, but they don't create music the way that humans do. Not only do we create beauty, we also constantly create it. We change styles of hair and dress constantly. We write new songs. We create new instruments. We invent novel genres. We don't just tell stories. We create new mediums for which to express those stories in books and film, plays, musicals, cartoons, sitcoms, etc. Just look around you. Unless you're in the wild, there is some sort of art in front of you right now. He says, we seem to be incapable of living without it, as the human archaeological record attests. See, being made in the image of God means that we are hardwired to make things, to do things, to accomplish stuff. And sometimes it's more abstract. I mean, we talked about art and beauty in this little excerpt I read. We, 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 it's abstract music and poetry and, and various artistic things, but most of the stuff that we create is way more concrete. We've created governments, 
We've created schools and businesses and banks. We build roads and houses. We balance budgets. We present ideas. We solve problems. That's all part of God's mark on our life to say, listen, you do this. Like I made you to create, to build, to make, to do. The stuff we wake up and think about as doing, as work, like that thing, that thing you left on your desk on Friday, and it's just been nagging in the back of your mind, guess what? That's God's mark inside of you waiting to get back to that. It might stress you the heck out. You might even get up in the morning and go, I hate that I go to do that. But it's what drives you. Because God created us in his image, and he says, I create. And so should you. So this is the first big lesson we're trying to find today. The work we do is a reflection of God's image in us. So God places Adam and Eve in this garden. It's a blank canvas. And he doesn't just put them there like, go play games. Like, go play kickball. Two-person two kickball. That'd be fun. No, he gives, them, he gives them work to do. In fact, our original occupation as human beings was to be stewards of the earth, to take care of it, to guide it, to protect it. Uh, you know, taking care of the planet is not a political position. Going green isn't something that's new. God was actually like, listen, this is your earth. Like, take care of it. It's a big deal. This is the place I put you to live. Take care of it. And so we get back to the text here, and we see it really cool. We see God's first assignment to mankind. This is Adam and Eve. The first task he gives us, and it's to name the animals. Look at this. This is neat. Verse 19. This is uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 19. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock and the birds of the sky and to all the wild animals. That's just cool. That's just really neat. Like imagine, a lot of you have kids, okay? Imagine you have your baby and then you go out into the hallway and you find someone that you just met. You're like, hey, come name this thing. (laughs) Come name it for me. That's ridiculous. We would never do that. But that's exactly what God does. You're like, hey, you just got here. Name everything. This is the thing. When God put mankind on earth. He didn't put us here with no purpose. In fact, this is really neat. He said, here's the deal. I'm going to create all this, but I want to partner with you to take care of it. And the first sign of trust that I'm going to give you is I'm going to let you just use your own creativity to name this stuff. And guess what? We're still naming animals. We do it all the time. I don't think for a second that, that, that Adam sat there with a clipboard and like, okay, that is the Hercules beetle. Uh, oh, there's 17 varieties of bumblebee on this rose bush. Like, no, I think he's like named the ones that he saw. But I think in general, God's like, listen, this is your stuff. Be creative. Name it. Now, you, you look at that like, why is that even there? Why is it in the story? I, I think this is just the tip of the iceberg as far as how God wants to partner with us in doing stuff in this world. God invited us to join into the work he was doing. And he wants us to use our creativity and our abilities to leave our mark here. He left his mark on us. And he said, I want you to leave your mark here. Now, that's great. It's all in good. We get to the, that part of the story. We're like, whew, that's the... But you get to Genesis chapter 3, and if you've read it already, you know the things like they kind of get turned on their ear. Sin enters into the world, and it dramatically impacts the way that we interact with God and how we interact with the world. 
so that's the sin, this, this talking serpent, and the eating of the fruit. And so if you haven't read that, I recommend you go check it out. Read the first three chapters of Genesis, and you'll be like, oh, this is what everybody was talking about. But we, we're going to kind of move just a little bit past that, and we're going to look in Genesis chapter 3, verse 17. And this is the aftermath of when sin enters the world. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and you ate the fruit from the tree of which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through pain and toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. And by the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Has anybody ever noticed that work is hard? Congratulations, you're a Bible scholar. Because that's exactly what it says. Initially, work was given to us as a blessing, as a gift. But God takes that same gift and he says, okay, you want to do things on your own, your own way, your own power? Okay. I'm going to use this gift I give you and use it to teach you a lesson. As I look at God's discipline for us in the Bible, I don't think you ever see it where God is just throwing lightning bolts from clouds just to smite us. The word discipline at its root is the same exact word that we get the word learning from, parents. If we ever discipline our children and we don't have the explicit goal of teaching them something, we're just being abusive. Discipline should be for the, for the purpose of teaching. The word disciple comes from the same root word that we get discipline from. God's word teaches us that any father who loves their child will discipline them. And so God making work hard for us is not just because he's like, I'm going to make you sweat of your brow. No, he's like, you need to learn something. You wanted to do stuff on your own. You wanted to disobey me. You wanted to eat the thing I said don't eat and do the thing. And we, we're not eating fruit anymore. We've gone way past eating fruit. You want to break my covenant. You want to do all these things. Okay. It's time for you to learn something. And the way I'm going to teach you is through work. This is the lesson we want to see from this, and we're going to unpack it. The work we do is a reminder of how much we need God in our lives. Why does God make work suddenly so hard and have this negative connotation? Maybe it's because that through toil, uh, through labor, through what he calls the sweat of our brow, through that, we can see that no matter how much effort we put into trying to like, take care of ourselves, we can't do it, <laughs> but it's effortless for him. I want it to be hard for you because I want you to know that without me, you can't do it. You can't make it. Let's look at nature. Nature maintains itself. You think the birds need your little pine cone full of like uh, bird seeds so that they could survive? No, nature doesn't need us. Nature takes care of itself. God's creation is self-sustaining. It's mankind. <laughs> who have to rely on God and do work, toil from the ground to eat. Nature doesn't need maintenance, but my life, oh man, my life needs constant maintenance. You look at a marriage that's not being maintained or a child that's not being parented, you'll see the wheels falling off because we've got to constantly maintain everything we do. And I think that God gives us that as a constant reminder that you know what? You got skills, you got talents, you got creativity. Good for you. I gave you that. That's my mark in your life, but you can't do it without me. 
You gotta have something else to supplement that. You gotta have something else to get you through, to give you purpose, to give you meaning. Friday, we went to our refrigerator in my kitchen. We opened it up, and it was empty. And my wife does the majority of the uh, grocery shopping in our house. She does the meal planning. She does a fantastic job. And she was like, what? I just filled this refrigerator up with food last week. How is it empty again? And it turns out, we ate it all. It's all gone because we ate it all. And guess what we did on Friday night? It was so romantic. We went to Food Lion, and we went grocery shopping. And that's what 16 years of marriage looks like, folks. That's true love. Work is constant. You just got your job done. Guess what? There's a new fence to build tomorrow. There's a new thing to do the next day. It's as if God is sitting up on the back seat going, you keep on working, and I want you to find joy in it. I want you to find purpose in it. But listen, you cannot sustain yourself. Everything you do will eventually decay. You need me. Our work is a constant reminder of the fact that we need God in our life. He said, by the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Work is that daily reminder. We gotta have God in our life. And now, if our, in our hearts and our mind, we're focused on God's heart and God's mind, work can also be a reminder that though it may take a lot of effort for us to survive, God is always there to pick up the slack. And so, like, that's the journey that we're on when we do church together, when we're coming to Jesus, is learning, learning to, like, sit in that tension. How much do I need to do? How much do I need to trust God with? And if you find yourself in that seesaw tension, that's good. That's healthy. That's really good. Because you step a little bit to this side of the seesaw, and you start dipping, oh, I need a little more God. Oh, I need to, I need to get my butt in order. Oh, I need, and it's, and I mean, it's not that like we're saved by how good we balance that scale because we can't. But God's like, I want you to yearn for me. I want you to need me. I want you to want me. But unfortunately, one of the greatest forms of idolatry in our world today, idolatry is idol worship, paganism, the lack of reverence for God. One of the greatest forms of idolatry in our world today is the fact that we can elevate our work to a place that should be reserved for the creator. I want to read you a few sentences, then I'm going to read to you them a second time. This is the first time through. What I'm saying is we worship our work. We allow our work to define our purpose. We trust in our work for provision. We seek validity from our work status. We seek security from the income that our work gives us. We dedicate our lives to our vocation. We make sacrifice to advance our work. And when things, aren't going, when things are going well, we love our work. And when things aren't going well, you know what we look for? More work. And in every one of those sentences, if we could replace the word work with God we would have such a pure worship. Listen to this. What if we allowed our God to define our purpose? What if we trusted God for provision? What if we sought our validation from God? What if we sought security from God's presence in our life? What if we dedicated our lives to our God? What if we made sacrifices to advance the kingdom of God? And when things are going well, we praise our God, and when things are going poorly, we seek more of our God. We cannot be in such a place where we find work as the end all. The crazy thing is we, the gift of work, we begin to look at it as the gift giver. It's so ironic and it's so sad. And I believe that's why so many of us wake up in the morning and we hate our jobs. For the record, I love my job. I love what I get to do to be a leader among this community, but I can be honest. 
sometimes as a pastor, you, you might be curious, this is my full-time vocation. I also help lead other organizations. I do a lot of different things with my time, but my full-time vocation is, is being the pastor for, for this church and a leader, uh, and it's so fulfilling. But guess what? I still get caught in the trap of saying, if I don't do my job good enough, I'm not good enough. If we don't have a certain amount of attendance, then we're, I'm failing. If we can't reach goals after goals, then I'm failing. This boat that we're all in is this teeter-totter balance between am I trusting God or am I trusting me? Am I building his kingdom or am I building his? And guys, that is faith language. And if we want to do good work and we want to find purpose in our nine to five, we've got to begin putting God in his proper place. And you might be in a place in your life this morning where you showed up this morning and you weren't expecting this. You're like, I thought we'd just go to church because it's a good thing to do. I want to invite you to something. I want to invite you to something, something that is more than just an attendance thing on Sunday, but a thing where we begin to reshape our hearts and our mind and everything that we do so we can say, this is about building a kingdom beyond myself. This is about glorifying the creator. And I think the way that we do that is we we try to redefine work. There's a, a theologian, preacher, teacher guy named Tim Keller, and he says a lot of really smart things. And he says this in a book called Every Good Endeavor. He defines work this way. He says, work is rearranging the raw material of God's creation in such a way that it helps the world in general and people in particular to thrive and flourish. Jesus said the same thing in a much more beautiful way. This is what Jesus says. When someone was asking him, what's my greatest uh, you know, objective in my life? He calls this the greatest commandment. This is in uh, Matthew 22, starting at verse 37. He says, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You should love your neighbor as yourself. It's not what you do. It's why you do it. And what if work became about bringing God glory and bringing other people closer to him? Everything that we do. What is your nine to five? In this room, we've got a ton of different vocations. That's so cool. I love it our men's retreat when we sit around the fire one of the nights and we're just like thinking about all the various people. Like, man, we could, we could have a whole city by ourselves. We got firemen and police officers and teachers and, you know, all kinds of stuff. Lawyers and uh, we could do all this stuff. Like, we have a lot of vocations represented here, but guess what? They can all be aimed at the same objective. They can all have the same purpose. And you can see that God's presence in your life daily gives you opportunities presented through your job. First, to create, to get up and do stuff because God wants you to do that. That's his mark on your life. And secondly, to help him take care of the world and the people in it. That's why we say every single week, the last thing that someone says from this stage every single week is that we wanna go and shine light in dark places. That is our goal. That is our, our divine mission. If you work in customer service, guess what? you get to meet complete strangers every single day who probably have a chip on their shoulder and you get to show them the light of God. You get to show them how a Christ follower responds to my cell phones not getting on the internet. Congratulations, that's your calling. That's what you get to do every day. Now you're not gonna love every second of it. Well, God promises that. There's gonna be sweat on your brow. But what if your purpose is aimed at, I get to meet people. I get to talk to them. 
We have a lot of first responders and medical professionals here in our church family, and it's really cool. But guess what? You guys, man, the stories that you can tell, you meet people in some of the lowest places in their life. And I know it affects you deeply. But you have an opportunity to welcome them as someone who knows the light of God and say, man, let me just come alongside you and help you through this, this rough spot. Maybe you're a teacher. Oh, my goodness, teachers, people who take care of children, you are, you're holding the little hands of the complete future of our world. What better, higher calling could you have than to shine the light of Jesus into their life and to show them what it means to live it out? Maybe you own a business. You're an entrepreneur or you just are a manager of a business. Guess what? You can be a Jesus-minded employer. You don't have to be a complete jerk, for one thing. You can understand that people have life situations going on. You can create an environment in your workplace where people go, I love working there. I don't even know what we produce as a company, but I love working there. Every single job, and, and, except unless you live in a situation where the job you have to do requires you to sin every day to do your job, which that's a reality, and let me just be straight with you, you should find alternate occupation. Like, that's not healthy for you. But every job that we have can be aimed at bringing God glory. Yesterday, I got to go get breakfast at Chick-fil-A. Oh, man. Anybody love Chick-fil-A? Yeah, man, that's the most energy I've seen out of this group all morning. We love Chick-fil-A. Like, there was this hype that Popeye's got a better chicken sandwich. Come on. Hush that noise. They got a good chicken sandwich. I'm just saying. Here's the thing. I love Chick-fil-A, and not because they've got the best chicken sandwich ever, but because when I go in there, I'm somebody. I matter. All right, you guys who love Chick-fil-A, tell me. Almost any conversation you have with a Chick-fil-A employee, what's the last thing they're going to say to you? My pleasure. Really? It was your pleasure? Thanks. I have napkins. <laughs> wow, it was their pleasure. And it's not, because, it's not because they're coming like, here, you need to fake everybody out. I believe it goes all the way to the top of that organization. And at the very top, there was people involved who said, we are going to be a Christ-centered organization. And yeah, yes, they play Christian music on their radio, and they take Sundays off because they want to give their people a chance to worship, those kind of things. But that's just the tip of the iceberg. This is an organization that gives away millions of dollars, and they try to invest in children's lives through camps and all these things. Now, you might have beef with Chick-fil-A. I don't know why, but maybe you do. I'm not saying they're perfect. That's not even my point. My point is this. It is possible to take your nine-to-five and point it to Jesus. And when you do, people will notice. This is what Christianity is about. God reached into the world and said, there's brokenness, but I can work with that. And then each of us, if you're in this room and you've accepted Jesus and you are a Christian with your life, guess what he's done? He's reached into your life and he said, I want to partner with you to help fix the brokenness. And if you're here this morning and you're like, man, I'm feeling so far from God. Gosh, I'm so glad you're here. Because guess what? God is reaching down into your life. He's saying, I've left my mark on you, and I'm so sorry that you're hurting. But turn to me, learn from my community, and let me help you take next steps. 
There's so much more we can talk about. Work, like, like we said, 90,000 hours of our life. I can't begin to address that this morning. This is just the introduction lesson to this series, but I'm so excited to get into it because I think it's something that we wrestle with every single day. So I want to leave you with one last thought. This is from the Apostle Paul, okay? It's from the Apostle Paul in the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter 15. This is something he says to remind us, if you are a believer in Jesus, this is your reminder. And if you're still kind of uh, sitting on the fence trying to decide where you want to go with this, guess what? You're invited to join in on this as well. This is his reminder about work. He says, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor for the Lord is not in vain. It might stress you out. It might leave sweat on your brow, blisters on your hands, a need to go see a therapist. (laughs) But at the end of the day, God says, I can take what you're doing with your day job, with your work, with your labor, and I can make it about bringing glory to the Father. The work that we do is a reflection of God's image in us, and it's a reminder of how much we need him in our lives. I'd love to pray for you guys this morning. Let's pray.